Kawhi, step back triple. And it's in! Back to back triples for Kawhi. Back to back to back triples for the Raptors as Toronto has grabbed a four point lead. I'm not afraid of the moment. I enjoy it. You know, this was what I work out for in the summer. You just got to go out and shoot the ball, I guess. Um, that's my mindset, try to get to a spot, um, help my team win the game. Not going to get it off. The Raptors win the game 105-99, and the Toronto Raptors are one win away from a date with the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. This, the closest the Raptors have ever been in franchise history. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were here. Look around at the square. I promise you right now, we did this. Doesn't matter what anybody says. They can say it's disrespectful. They can say it's this and that. And that. Everybody's within the rules. Everybody's doing their thing. All we are is proud and passionate. We are like a college sports team. The Toronto Raptors are a college sports team. I promise you. I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to the, the chance to win at home. chance to win at home. No, you're not dreaming. This is real life. What Kawhi said is correct. What Drake said is correct. The Raptors win 105-99. But more importantly, the score of the series is 3-2. For the first time all season, Milwaukee has lost three straight. For the first time all season, the Bucks lost at home when they led going into the fourth quarter. And for the first time ever, the Raptors are just one win away from the NBA Finals. I'm Donovan Bennett. Here with J.D. Bunkus. Does that feel real to you? Like, did you have a moment last night where you that kept getting said, that kept getting tweeted, that one game away from an NBA Finals? Chance to close at home. Like, does that feel real to you? Well, Milwaukee opens the game on an 18-4 run. I'm like, all right, we've seen yeah. this movie before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just 2016 all over again. Maybe it might be different if you come back home and steal game six, and then you're, anyone's guess what happens in a game yeah, seven. try again. But what's different is... There were stretches where neither team played well. But at some point, Kawhi Leonard's like, all right, I guess you guys are willing to give up this game. I'm going to go and take it. That ultimately was the biggest difference. What about you? I think it was Kawhi too. Clearly, Fred Van Vliet knocking down every three-point shot ever taken in the history of basketball in one game. Like seven threes from Fred Van Vliet, a guy who was shooting 20% before he had a child was beyond impressive and we will get to that and i do want to know from you if you're still feeling that the heat's kind of on you right now fred van vliet is putting the heat on new fathers what are you talking about you got to perform like you got to be great you don't have any excuses anymore like it used to be well he just had a baby he's tired hey give him a break he just had a kid now it's gone fred van vliet ruined it for every young father out there it's like you think that what you do is harder than when fred is doing Knocking down I, those threes in I big feel, clutch spots? I feel no heat. I feel vindicated. I am a long member of the Bet On Yourself okay. fan club, and uh, I am a long subscriber to all of the Embrace the Grind gear. I have been pounding the table for Norm Powell and Fred Van Vliet for a long time, and so they're just making a truth teller out of me. And it's funny because we're talking about those guys, and as we've talked through this series, I've pretty much thought that the series is pretty binary we might as well forget about the games forget about the jump ball you could just basically have a three-point shooting contest between marcus ol brooke lopez and malcolm brogdon and eric bledsoe fred van vliet and norm powell and if the raptors win then they win the game and if the bucks wins they win the game and that's pretty much if you look at the box score for all five games thus far that's pretty much what's happened both teams have said 
We're going to try and take away the star. We're going to try, do our best. And we're going to force other people to beat us. And the difference was not only did the Raptors hit their three-point shots, but also Kawhi was a willing and better passer when doubled than Giannis was. So I think that you just hit on something there, which is the bench pieces. Because when we were looking at the ledger, right, we were trying to do the who's better at what heading into this series and who's previewing it. To me, when you say it's binary, I agree with you in that you can kind of tell that when the Bucks get in and out in transition, they look good. They look like the better team. They look unstoppable. It takes away the Raptors' biggest advantage, which is their half-court defense, and it exposes sometimes their biggest flaw, which was missing wide-open shots. Conversely, when the Raptors are knocking down shots and getting into their half-court defense and mucking this game up and making it difficult on Giannis and doubling him, it looks like the Raptors are the better team. But I don't think anybody saw the bench thing coming because, let's be honest here, the Serge Ibaka performance in Game 7 felt like a little bit of a one-off. Like, that was something that Serge Ibaka could do, but it wasn't something that you were necessarily relying on to carry over. Fred Van Vliet was borderline unplayable. You were hoping to get 13 minutes a night from him. And the same went from Norm Powell. And even when we were accustomed to getting a great Norm Powell game, it's usually not followed by yet another great Norm Powell game and then another good Norm Powell game. They're usually a little bit more sparse than that. They're more of one-offs, just like the Serge performance. And so far in this series, I think the Raptors bench has now outperformed Milwaukee's bench. Brogdon gets moved in the starting lineup last night, and they're trying to free things up for Miritich, who everybody said was the better trade deadline acquisition over Marc Gasol. He was nine minutes last night. He's at minus 11. He's missed every one of his shots. I think he was 0-3 or 0-4 from the floor. Like, he's been a non-factor. Ilyasova has largely been a non-factor. George Hill has been good. He's knocked down some big shots. He hit one last night. But overall, I wouldn't say that he was outplaying Fred Van Vliet, who's knocking down seven threes. And not much has surprised me in this series in terms of the way the results have gone other than that, which is the Raptors bench has stepped up and started to kick people's asses. Well, I disagree that people would be surprised out of this from a because early in the series, people, and I was one of them. I mean, the as your secondary scorer, like he was in this Philly game. I felt like we needed more Ibaka and less Gasol. And so if anything, Ibaka has almost proved that right, even though, and, and you mentioned you wanted to see more Ibaka, even though he was minus 17 in mm-hmm. game one. The bench is a surprise, but it isn't because they've had open shots all series. The question was, will they go down? And now they're starting to go down for all of the support players other than Danny Green. To me, that's the difference in the series. And when you look at it, when we really break this down and everyone overreacts in the playoffs and when you win, everything is beautiful. And when you lose, everything is terrible. And and that's never the case. And even they still struggled offensively shooting less than 40% for the game last night. But let's dial it back and look at the series in mini games, quarter by quarter. The first, definitely two, probably three quarters of this series in game one, the Raptors were better. Mm-hmm. Bucks were much better in quarter four. They win game one. Bucks were better in all four quarters of game two. Outside of that, the Raptors have been the better team. Mm-hmm. And so you really shouldn't be surprised when you dial it down that way, even though the Bucks were up 2-0. And even though we know that this is only second time that the Bucks have lost two straight this year, and this is the first time they've lost three straight. When you looked at how the teams were playing and the shots that they were creating, you should have felt as if the Raptors had a chance. If but those shots did. finally dropped. Well, not everyone did. Okay, there, I think there's a difference between surprising... Maybe everyone and, in this room did, yeah. but there's only two people in the room. But there's a difference between surprising and shocking, right? Like, there's nothing shocking about what the Raptors are doing. But most people had Milwaukee in this series. Like, they were the favorite. Even when the Raptors tied it up at 2-2, we mentioned the last time we were on the podcast, they were still plus 225. Didn't you pick the Bucks to win in seven? 
Pick the Raptors. Okay, you picked Raptors in seven. I think I had Raptors in six. Oh, it was Joe who had it going the Bucks way. And I think Danielle Michaud was on Raptors as well because this is a Homer podcast. But anyway, I think that most people saw it being the Bucks, And the Bucks were going to be able to knock down shots or find their offense a little bit with more fluidity or get better stops on the Raptors. Like something has happened in this series that has caught people a little off guard. And I would say that it does start with the bench and it does start with some of those key contributors being guys who are knocking down shots that you didn't expect. Like Norm Powell has brought a level of confidence to this offense that quite frankly, Danny Green and Pascal Siakam have not had consistently that not even Marcus Saul has had consistently. Like every time that dude hits the floor, he's attacking, he's probing, he's not afraid to take a shot. Fred Van Vliet all of a sudden has gone from again, an unplayable factor to someone who is maybe the guy you have your most confidence in, in the series on either team with his feet set to knock down an open three. Like that to me is a little surprising. Well, I think this is the thing that's happened in the series. That is surprising that Nick nurse is badly out coaching coach, but yep. and that Nick nurse has made some adjustments in terms of his lineup combination, in terms of the amount of minutes he's willing to play guys in terms of who he's willing to play. And when Danny green does not have it. Okay. Well, he's not playing high leverage situations, Nobody has last continue night, 16. but buttonholzer has been stubborn and has not panicked. And we'll see if this continues. Last time I checked, Giannis is 23 years old. The max he's played in this series is 44 minutes. That was in a double overtime game. He did fall out of the game, but still, there's no way that Kyle Lowry at 33 and Marcus Gasol at 34 and Kawhi Leonard with no good legs and load management throughout the year and a free agency decision coming should be playing more minutes than Giannis one and two. How about you use a timeout if Giannis's ankle is bothering him rather than have him come out of the game with a minute 30 ish left for valuable possessions and the Raptors get not one but two offensive boards. In that span, he is stubborn in a way where this is what we do. We're doing it. I don't care. As if he's Popovich and I'm going to play 10 guys because we got here with 10 guys. I don't care. As if he's Steve Kerr. Only problem is he's not Popovich. He's not Steve Kerr. And more importantly, he doesn't have more than one star. Popovich had Duncan and Ginobili and Parker and Kawhi. And Kerr obviously has four, five-ish all-stars. And probably four, five, maybe even six Hall of Famers. The Bucks have Giannis. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Boonholzer badly is mismanaging his star and his bench and not adjusting throughout the series, to me, is crazy. As good as the Raptors have played, and yes, that game, they did not play well. They were down 14, then they were down 12, and they hung around. And they're like, well, all right, I guess we'll take this from you if you don't really want it. As good as the Raptors played... I think a lot of it is how mismanaged the Bucks team has been by Coach Bucks. This was kind of the revenge for game one, where you really felt like Toronto was up by 10 points for the entirety of the game, and then somehow it ends up getting furthered away, and then it's out of your hands. And I'll give Budenholzer credit for two things. One, the Malcolm Brogdon adjustment was much needed, and guy plays 34 minutes last night. He takes 17 shots. He's all over the glass. He's making plays for others. He's a really, really good player. It's actually very, very... Difficult to understand how that guy fell to the second round when you look at the skill set, the ability, and the confidence. So he inserts him there. But, but do you give him credit for doing it in game five? Well, yeah. Like he's over half of the series is over. Totally. That's but, like saying, well, I give you credit. You stopped cheating on your wife. Hey, listen. You're faithful now. <laughs> like he's looked at the hey, same team that we've looked at. I'm with you, except for Brogdon in the game before that was, I think, two of 11. He had struggled. So to have the confidence to go to that player. I thought really did speak to something. And also we have to say that who's been their best defender on Kawhi, not named Giannis, Chris Middleton. 
I think it's been Brogdon. Yeah, both have been great. I think even if he, Kyle Lowry-esque, even if his shot's not, not falling. Not Brooke Lopez. No, not Brooke Lopez, which that's another <laughs> Coach Bud thing. Really? You're going to switch the pick and roll with Brooke Lopez and watch mm-hmm. Kawhi hit two threes in his face? Mm. Even if his shot is not falling, Brogdon does so much for totally. you that I think this was an obvious decision as to why he no, should have been I'm playing with more you on that. earlier. I and cut you off. I think it was after game one or game two we came in here, and I said about Nick Nurse that... It just never felt like he got a grasp of this team or he always felt a little bit of a step behind in terms of having that feel for this group. And over the last little bit, it feels like he finally caught up. And I know things get a lot easier for a head coach when your other players start playing really well, like Fred Van Vliet knocks down seven shots and all of a sudden your three-man bench unit looks pretty good. And Norm Powell plays this well and your bench unit looks good. But I just think that he's coached extremely well. He's done a little bit of matching with Giannis Antetokounmpo coming off and Kawhi Leonard and trusting that his other guys are going to be better than the Bucks with him off the floor, and it has worked out. I think he's done a good job of mixing and matching when guys get into foul trouble and finding them their spots, making sure that they don't with resting them in certain situations and trusting his guys ultimately. And so, yeah, he has shown more flexibility than Mike Budenholzer, and I think that's paying off. I do wonder, though... If the biggest factor in all of this, and, and we will get to Kawhi because that's the, I, I think the biggest story of the game. We're kind of burying it. But before you move on from, but yeah, I'm watching the series. Who knows who said no to who first? The Raptors didn't offer him a contract. He wanted to go to Milwaukee, coach Giannis. And maybe if the Raptors had Kawhi at that yep. point, his decision is different. I'm watching this series and sometimes the best move is one you don't make. And if you do make a move, you have buyers remorse. Watching the series, I'm like, I think the Raptors are better off with them. I feel much more confident in Nick Nurse after watching them coach up close for five games than I do Budenholzer. I'm not willing to bend the knee on that just yet because I don't think that the biggest difference in this series has been coaching. I think that it's been bench and whose star has been better and whose defense has been better. But I certainly think Nick Nurse is winning the coaching battle in this series. How much do you believe in experience with this stuff? Like how much it matters? Because I always have difficulty looking at it and saying, well... They're the more veteran team. It's like, yeah, skill usually wins. But I do think that in a series where we probably, or most people probably miscalculated how even the skill was, that the Raptors experience is kind of starting to shine through here a little bit. Like Milwaukee has not faced a lot of adversity, and I know a lot is being made of this. But for Toronto to be able to come back from down 14, to come back from down, I think it was 12 in the second half after they had kind of gotten a little mini lead of their own, to continue to persevere this way, to not really tighten up in those late moments, to not make those mistakes like the ones that Giannis has made, the missed opportunities that the Bucks have, a guy like Brogdon dribbling it off of a leg and having it go out of bounds. Do you feel like this has been a factor in this, or is this just kind of like reaching by media members who want to craft the narrative? Uh, I mean, use the Brogdon example as one that we can extrapolate. I mean, that's more bad luck, probably. Uh, yeah, I don't think that was experience. I think that was a physical mistake. I don't really put that much stock in experience because not like Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam have that much experience playing heavy, heavy minutes in a big time situation. This is where I'll put experience. It's not the decisions you make on the floor necessarily or your ability to handle the moment. Pat Riley has a quote. He calls it the aroma of a championship. Basically what he means in saying that is when you have those veterans, guys who have been through some wars, who have run stairs for years, have looking at their legacy and looking at their basketball mortality, and they know that they only have so many more shots, and they know how hard it is to get to that point, and the fact that they may never get another one. The closer you get 
to the Larry O'Brien. There's that aroma of a championship where those guys are willing to do a little bit more. They're willing to be a little bit more dialed in. They're hungrier. They're thirstier for that championship. It's like you were probably a straight-A student, so you didn't have to deal with this. But in high school, the closer you got to graduation, it's like, man, I got to take things a little bit more serious if I want to get into university, right? It's a lot easier to study for a test when you're in There's grade a 11 or 12. There. Is there? Well, it's like you enter grade 12 and you're like, all right, I got to take things seriously. I got to get good grades. But then once it's already said and done, like once you get to the end of the year, then you're like climbing on top of the school, throwing down water balloons on kids. Once you've been accepted to a university? Or at least when you know that your fate is... uh, Or that you have not been accepted? (laughs) What I think what you see is 34-year-old Marcus a 33-year-old Kyle Lowry, a... Kawhi Leonard, who's not necessarily sure where he's going to play next year, but also knows that he missed an entire year virtually because of an injury out of somewhat bad luck because he landed on a guy's foot. And if you believe his camp, his diagnosis was misdiagnosed by his team after the fact. You're never sure how close you are to being able to do this. Kawhi obviously has a championship, but when he won and was a finals MVP with the Spurs, I'm sure if you asked him in that moment, he thought, yeah, we're going to run this back, do this a bunch of times. And so... That's what I think the difference is. I was asked earlier this week, who would you choose if you wanted to start a team? Giannis or Kawhi? Who would you choose right now? And we were, we oversteer everything. There's articles talking about, oh, Giannis is a fraud. Kawhi is much better. Kawhi is the real MVP. I, I wouldn't go that far. But I would say this. If I wanted to choose a player for the next six years, I would choose Giannis. If I wanted to choose a player... For the next six games, mm-hmm. I choose Kawhi Leonard. And now we're talking about for the next one, possibly two games. And I think that's what you see is that the Raptors have been through some wars. They have some scar tissue. And whether there are guys who have been through those wars with this franchise or with other franchises, they collectively know, man, we got a shot. You listening to Shams, Kevin Durant may not be back for game one, may not be back, period. Mm-hmm. DeMarcus Cousins may be back for game one or possibly two, but I'm not certain if they're better with him in their lineup. This could be our window. Who knows what happens to the league next year? Who knows what happens to the player movement and where the balance of power goes because of KD, because of the Lakers and what a mess that is, because of Kawhi. And so this might be our moment to make some history. I think that's more than anything what you're seeing. I think that the Raptors experience more than the Bucks' lack of it showed up in three different ways in that game. One was the way that they took care of the basketball. Raps had four turnovers early, and it looked like a disaster. You mentioned it was like an 11-3 to run in that ball game before the Raps called that timeout, and they just they can't hang on to it. Lowry's trying to shovel it into guys' stomachs, like two feet away from them. They can't get the ball moving the way that they want to, and the rest of the game, they have two turnovers. They just tighten it up completely. Two freaking turnovers. Never shot themselves on the foot in the road. Two was that when they went down, They found ways to pick themselves back up and reinsert themselves into games and go on runs. And three ties into that, which is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard right now knows how to manage himself in a big game better than Giannis Atenekumbo does. Early in it, raps go down. What happens? Kawhi Leonard is the one force that's knocking down shots. He hits a couple of threes. He gets to the basket for a foul. He keeps the Raptors hanging around. In fact, when he comes off, the Raptors' wheels start to come off a little bit more, and and the lead gets stretched back out to end the first quarter. What does he continue to do? He gets his teammates involved. He knows that what is going to have to happen is drive into the paint, find his teammates, conserve himself a little bit. 
finds Norm Powell for a three, finds Fred Van Vliet for threes. He is constantly cutting. He is drawing contact. He is finding teammates, and he is getting his own offense. And then late in that ball game, Kawhi went into the Kawhi Super Saiyan mode where he has conserved himself. He has gotten his teammates involved, and he starts hitting threes. He's got his legs. He's getting into his spots. He's knocking down his twos. He's getting fouled. He's getting the free throw line, and he's still finding people, and he's becoming this just massive attention factor that the Bucks have to just completely deal with. And I didn't think Giannis was the same way in this game. He had a good game, and his teammates probably help him if they're knocking down more shots, if they can play Miritich and they can have better floor spacers. But he looks a little bit more mentally exhausted. He looks a little bit more confused by the coverages and looks a little more perplexed as to what he's going to do and how he's going to insert himself in these games or take over these games. And last night, Kawhi took over again. And I think we even take it for granted a little because he's defending Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, one of the big question marks heading into this series was, well, can Kawhi hold up? Can he defend Giannis? Can he have some possessions on him? It's like, it's not possessions. He's guarding him for the most of the game. Kawhi Leonard is defending arguably the league's MVP while going down and having a performance where he has nine assists and 35 points and grabbing key offensive rebounds and getting the line 10 times. That was a virtuoso performance. And now he adds that shot over Brook Lopez to his resume, that three-pointer that puts him up four points that really felt like that was the moment where the game pivoted to Toronto and that you really felt like this was now theirs to lose. I'm enamored by this guy. I I cannot believe this type of player. And I I don't mean to kick dirt on anybody, but this is what you see in having a true superstar. This is what a superstar in his coming of age is, where he has that experience, he has that skill set, he has that 200-foot game, or as they call it in hockey, where you can play on both ends of the floor, He's confident in his shot. He's confident in his teammates. He's finding ways to improve his game on the fly. I just, I don't think there's been a better player in the postseason than Kawhi Leonard, and I'm not sure there's a better player on the planet right now than Kawhi Leonard. Mentioned Kawhi guarding Giannis, and in games three, four, and five, he's checked him for 113 possessions. First two games, 19 possessions. The Bucks in the series, this is per 100 possessions. When Kawhi is on him, 856 points per 100 yeah not very good when Kawhi is not on him 114.4 very good so virtually you've gone from one of the better offenses of all time to the Mike Fratello Cavs of the (laughs) early 2000s that's basically the difference in the offense when Kawhi is on Giannis and when that's harsh the czar has done this podcast well, he also had his point guard literally walk the ball up the floor on every possession. Yeah. And Giannis chose to guard Kawhi at times, not because that was the structure of the defense. And he's o- done a decent job on him. He's done a very good job on him, only because they've been cross-matched up against each other in transition, and he's like, forget it, stay, I want this challenge. When Kawhi is guarding Giannis, there's been very few ball screens to get Kawhi off of him. And when there have been ball screens... They've been with Eric Bledsoe, not Brogdon, not Middleton, not people you want with the ball in their hands making a decision from beyond three-point range. Again, I think credit Nick Nurse on making the adjustment. We talked before about these two coaches had a truth saying, all right, our stars won't guard each other, even though that's what the world wants to see. And Nick Nurse is like, all right, break glass in case of emergency. You need to guard him. And Bud has been stubborn and has not. We'll see if that changes. I don't actually think it's the worst-case scenario Giannis is guarding Kawhi because I would love to get Giannis into foul trouble early and get into the bonus. But also, Kawhi's been, and it's been a knock on him, he's been such a great playmaker. Nine assists last night, a career high. All of them led to three-point makes. 
all of them, which is crazy. Yeah, he's just diving into the paint and then kicking it out for those wide open above the break threes. Kawhi Leonard, free throw line, kicks out Freddie Van Vliet. Yes, sir! Another one! I gotta say this too, but Kawhi Leonard at one point in that game, like in the first half when he takes his second foul, and you just don't fear leaving him in that game because he's just so good with his body control. He's so smart. He doesn't take bad fouls. Like, you know he's aware of it. And even defending Giannis, it was like you saying that. It's like, oh, you'd like to see Giannis defend Kawhi because you know he might take some bad fouls. And it's like, I believe that. It's like when you defend superstars, it's really difficult to not foul. And Kawhi Leonard, no matter how many he has, you still feel good with the way that he moves his feet and the way that he attacks with his hands and the way that he just plays defense. He's just thrilling to watch on that end. And I think that's what has really bothered Giannis in this switch in having Kawhi Leonard on him. One is that I don't know how Kawhi is able to find the energy. I guess we got to give the Raptors credit for getting him off of his feet the game before and not having him play 40 plus minutes. I think he only played 32 or 33 in game four. He looked a little fresher. He looked a little better in that last game. But I think when Giannis drives into the paint and he starts doing those spin moves and he's carrying the ball in front of the basket, it's got to be in his head a little bit that Kawhi has those hands there that are ready to rip the ball away. And of course, you got to give credit to Marcus Gasol, who's been an incredible help defender in the series as well. Had a huge block late in that ball game. I think it's been pretty clear at this point now what you have in a difference maker in Marcus Gasol from Jonas Valanciunas. And that's an elite, elite anchor that sits behind your defense and doesn't make it easy for anybody at the rim. Like the Raptors are just really well suited to match up with Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is a really, really tough one for him, having two former defensive players of the year, both just keying in on him on every possession. Yeah, Gasol had the one make, although it was clutch late. He should have shot the layup, though. He certainly should have. He has a layup. He doesn't do it. I'm pulling my hair out, and then he goes back and bangs one of the biggest threes of the game. He pulled an Eric Bledsoe, because he also should have shot the layup when he kicked it out to Brogdon, who then turned it over. Kawhi, last night, 35 points. 22 in the second half, 15 in the fourth quarter. There was a stretch when the game was really in the balance. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he took the game. End of the third, beginning of the fourth, he had 17 of Toronto's points. When you consider not only his points, but the points that he assisted, he was at the hands of almost 60% of the Raptors' offense last night. And this is what he's doing in the conference finals. 30.4 points, eight rebounds, three assists, 2.2 steals, two threes, 58.9 true shooting percentage. He's dropped at least 30 points in four of the five games thus far. I don't think when you look at the fact that he's only a sixth player in postseason history to have seven 35-point games prior to the NBA Finals, the other guys are talking about Elgin Baylor, Bernard King, Michael Jordan, and Akeem Olajuwon, and obviously LeBron. I don't think it's overstating it to say that the best basketball player walking the face of the earth right now, today, Friday, May 24th, is Kawhi Leonard. Well, it's just the workload, right? As you keep expecting him to break down, and even in the series, even in game four, where he doesn't look his normal explosive self, and he looks a little hobbled with the knee, it's like, how can this guy keep this up? And he basically carried the Raptors through that Sixer series. Like, let's be honest here. There were other guys that had some big games. Gasol played great defense on Embiid. Guys had moments in that series, but ultimately that was Kawhi Leonard for seven games beating the Philadelphia 76ers. I can't believe he's able to do this. I was talking to Rajah Bell the other day, and he's saying about when he got hurt in 06, because he was playing almost 40 minutes a night, and they went 17 games deep into the playoffs, how everybody has an odometer. There's that point where you just hit it and you break down. And for Kawhi Leonard, somehow he hasn't really had a long period of looking like he is slowing down. He looked a little slow in game four. 
He had a couple of moments where he was looking gassed in Game 7 against the Sixers, but ultimately, like, he just continues to find it. It is truly spectacular to watch what he's doing on both ends of the floor. And now that, you know, guys are knocking down shots and allowing him to become a playmaker, and he's looking for them. Like, I just don't know how you stop this dude. Well, I think, and Curry clearly was lights out in the Western Conference Finals, and obviously Harden's still a great player, and Giannis is still, at the end of the no, series, going to have a case for great guys. numbers. But the difference is, who is by far the Raptors' best player defensively in the half court? Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Who's their best transition defender? Kawhi Leonard. Who's their best half court offensive player? Kawhi Leonard. And it's really not close. And who's their best player in transition? Kawhi Leonard. Pascal Siakam pretty good in transition, but I'd still would prefer Kawhi Leonard either finishing a play or making the decision. And I don't think actually he's carried them more last round than he did this round. I think it's just been different, and mm-hmm. he's risen to what the mathematical problem that the defense has given him. The Sixers were very clear. We're not going to overhelp. We're going to stay home on everybody else. We are going to send a double in two situations, late in the shot clock when you're going to have to shoot, and or when you get to the rim. We're going to come with help, whether it's Embiid or Simmons if he's not guarding him, when Jimmy Butler is guarding him. We're going to come with help late. And... Kawhi Leonard was like, all right, fine. If you're going to double me late, I'm going to beat the primary defender off of the dribble. So I've basically erased them out of the equation. And now it's just one-on-one with someone at the rim. And I'll either finish over them at the rim. Joel Embiid got a couple dunks on his head. Or I'm just going to get into my pull-up jumper game. And even in the clinching play, his three, it was the same scenario. Ben Simmons is guarding me. Fine, I'll pass him. And so Technically, I'm doubled, but I'm not worrying about him once I've left him. And so I still have to create and make a tough shot over Joel Embiid. But that's one-on-one coverage with me and Joel Embiid because I've erased Ben Simmons, the primary defender, from the equation. He's like a great receiver who Randy Moss in his prime when he was doubled. If you double him at the line of scrimmage, once he beats that, it's really one-on-one with him in a safety. It's not that difficult when you're that elite and you have such a great first step. This series has been different. They're creating a wall, and they're saying, listen, we want it out of your hands. We are going to pack the paint, which is what we do with anyone. We're certainly going to do it with you. And if someone else is going to beat us and make three-point shots, so be it. And the biggest difference is he's been able to get his points when they've decided to switch on the perimeter. He's like, all right, fine. That's funny, Brooke Lopez. And when they haven't switched, he's been able to drive, get into the paint, and kick it out for guys to hopefully hit three-point shots, and that's finally what they're doing. He's just so strong that it's just impossible to keep him from his spots. Like, the, the Bucks are killing themselves trying to keep him out of the paint and trying to keep him from catching the ball deep. And they're doing, ultimately, a really good job. Like, the, the wall has been, I would argue, as good as any team could possibly do it against Kawhi Leonard. And yet he's still finding a way to, you're right, overcome it and find teammates. And as long as the other guys start knocking down shots or keep knocking down shots... You feel very, very good about what the Raptors' chances are, especially in Game 6. I want to touch on just a couple more things before we go. First of all, let's keep it in-house with the Raptors. Because Danny Green, 0 for again, misses two wide-open threes, misses a just terrible three in transition in that game where, you know, he's just searching for it. He's trying to pick up Giannis in, in transition. He's a great transition defender, but this is just, that's not the guy for him. And what do you do at this point? Because Nurse, I think, played it right last night with the 16 minutes, but... Maybe we're getting too far ahead of ourselves, but I don't think that you can be competitive against the Warriors without having him as a floor spacer and having him be somebody that's knocking down big shots and playing big defensive minutes as a guy who can switch out onto the Curries and the Clays and defend out to the perimeter and give you good minutes. Like, What do you think the balance is here between shattering his confidence versus 
hurting your team by giving him too much? Like, is that the right amount yesterday? Like, I don't I don't think you have to worry about shattering his confidence at this point of his career. He's like 4 or 22 from three over his last few games. But I don't think his confidence is going to be tied to how many minutes he plays. I think it's going to potentially be tied shot. to how many shots he makes in those minutes, and that's nothing Nick Nurse can change. It's funny you mentioned a series against the Warriors because watching the series, and everyone was talking about the fact that Bay Area writers were writing it, the Bucks present a much more difficult challenge for the Warriors in the finals than the Raptors do. And, I mean, Giannis is a physical freak, and so I kind of get that. But watching the series and really watching the way they've decided to guard, if Kawhi Leonard is cooking Brook Lopez for step-back threes, what is Steph Curry going to do with the switch? Draymond versus Kawhi would be really, really fun. You think Draymond would guard, guard Kawhi? Kawhi? Yeah, I think there would be a lot of times where he would be guarding him. See, I think... Clay would get minutes. I think Clay would yeah. guard Kawhi, and I think Draymond would be the help defender. Ooh, it's just a fun. Please I, I, let I think, this happen. Please I think, let this happen. I think Draymond is guarding Siakam, yeah. similar to the way Embiid tried to bother Siakam with his length, and Draymond's helping off of Siakam. And if Siakam wants to shoot three point shots, Steve Kerr will say fine, but I don't want Kawhi Leonard to get off. So. Clay is going to live in his jersey, and Draymond's coming with the help. Let's not do this. Let's not do this, because this feels too cursy. This feels wrong. You're you're right. I will say this. Someone who would factor big in that series. Drake versus uh, Draymond would be the best, anyways. (laughs) Drake versus E40 would be the best. Would factor big in this series, and I will concede the floor to you to wax poetically about him. We have gone however many minutes this is without saying Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry has double figures in every game in this series after averaging just six points against the Bucks in the regular season. Gave you 17 and seven last night, plus six assists, seven rebounds. And at times when Fred was looking a little unsteady with the ball, but needed to be on the floor because of the spacing he was providing, Kyle was like, I've got this under control. I thought his biggest moments in the game, to me honestly, was when things seemed to be getting out of control, him getting to the free throw line. Like him finding a way to get into traffic and draw a foul, especially late. Same thing for game four. He just does a really good job of blending into the type of moment that they need. And last night, they did not need Kyle Lowry to have 25 points like he did the night before or the game before. He had 17, but I thought it was mostly a kind of a quiet 17. And he had some really big plays in that game. But even in the fourth quarter, he wasn't in there until pretty late. And I didn't feel like it was a necessity to get him in there for a little while because of the way the Raptors were playing and the way that Fred Van Vliet played in that ball game. And it's just proof. You don't need to rely on Kyle Lowry anymore. You don't need him to be the number two. You don't need him to be the number three. You don't need him to be the number one. You have Kawhi Leonard, and it just changes the pecking order of this group. And I love the way that Kyle Lowry can just find a way to impact a basketball game basically no matter what his role is, and he did it again last night. Do you think Chris Middleton is a max player? Like, if you were the Bucks. They seem like they're in a spot where it's a little tricky. They have a big decision to make. They already gave Eric Bledsoe $70 million, which doesn't look great. And I loved that Eric Bledsoe was hot early because I knew it was going to bite them in the ass late, and it absolutely did. It was like, okay, now we have too much Eric Bledsoe. He still finished 2 of 7 from 3 in that game. Like, he's still hoisting them up even though he's knocking down mid-range shots. I don't know if you can keep Chris Middleton or at least have him not go look around unless you're going to offer him basically a max contract. And here's a guy who last night only pours in six points for the Bucks. It was a relative non-factor. He's been bottled up most of this series. He had a really hot game four, but other than that, haven't really feared Chris Middleton, haven't really noticed him. He's a good defender. He's been doing a great job. Like I said, I think he's done better than anybody on Kawhi Leonard. Like, what do you do if you're the Bucks in that situation? Like, 
I don't feel as though you can break the bank on that guy and surround Giannis for his prime with just Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. Like, I would have rather they put the money on Middleton, but because they screwed up with Bledsoe, it feels like they've got a really tough decision to make. They've got a couple tough decisions to make. They owe Snell $23 million over the next two years. They're going to have to give up a pick to get off of that contract to create some room. They got to pay Brogdon. They, they got to pay, pay Brooke Lopez. Brogdon, who's going to be a restricted free agent. I think Miritich is gone. And at the age of 27, right? Brogdon's not as young as some of the other guys coming off their rookie deals. At the age of 27, Brogdon's like, I want my money mm-hmm. right now. Hell yeah. So I'm going to the highest bidder. So they're really going to have to probably overpay to keep Brogdon because Brogdon has made some money for himself. He's, He's still an RFA though, right? Yeah, but someone's going to basically poison pill that and say, yeah, we would really love you on our team. They've, they've had him for a steal for three years of just under $4 million. Now that salary is going to go through the roof. Yeah, if you were a team with a bunch of cap space, why wouldn't you throw a bunch of money at Malcolm Brogdon? It's a great question. It's the stupid thing the Suns did last year when they should have taken Fred Van Vliet. They should have just been like, yep, we would like him. Let's pour some money on Fred. They didn't. The Raptors keep him. And you feel fortunate. Yeah, so the Bucks have some serious cap questions moving forward. And obviously, they've got a decision with Miritich moving forward. But do you think this is just a bad series for Middleton? Like, does this change how you feel about him? Because it, it does change things for me. Like, the fact that he can't rise above this and he can't take a little more pressure off Giannis. Well, I mean, this is a massive free agent offseason. If Middleton is the guy in the corner of the photo holding up a Lakers jersey and he's standing beside... Kyrie Irving or Kawhi Leonard, you feel good about it. Uh-huh. If he's the guy in the middle of the photo holding up a Lakers jersey, standing beside, I don't know. He's not Scotty Kemba Pippen. Walker. You don't feel as good about no. it. So, I mean, it's all relative, right? There's teams who have space for two max guys, the Nets, the Clippers, potentially the Lakers, depending on what they do via trade. Yeah, if you have a grade-A superstar and he's coming in to be Clay Thompson light, Sure. Mm-hmm. But if he's the guy you want to put on the side of your building, no, sir. I don't feel good about it at yeah, all. Yeah, but this is what scares me if I'm a Bucks fan, is watching this series. You don't want to get too panicky. The Bucks have been overall fine, and the Raptors are a really good team. This is not taking away from anybody. It's just I need my max player to impact a series more than just having one hot game against the Raptors and being able to say, well, he's playing good defense against Kawhi. Like, that's just simply not good enough for me. And all of a sudden, you know, if you go into next year and the talent isn't enough, this was always the question with the Bucs, is did they really have enough talent around Giannis Antetokounmpo? And if he's looking around a year from now and he sees the same problems where Middleton's not able to get up shots and Bledsoe is missing them, and I don't know. I, I don't know how he starts to feel. Maybe he, you know, starts to start thinking about a different market. Middleton sign and trade. He gets his full money. Sign and trades are tough now, though. They are, but not impossible. Especially if the guy has decided I'm going there anyway. So uh-huh. look at what Chris Paul did to the Clippers. And yeah. I mentioned Chris Paul for a reason. Middleton signed and trade to the Rockets for Chris Paul, who, if you read the oh, Athletic, the... is fighting with James Harden. And they were not happy with each other after the Game 6 loss. I think the Rockets would be jumping for joy over that. Like, are you kidding? They, it's Chris Paul's money. Chris Paul's only like $40 million when he's 40 years old. True. But also, remember, the Bucks may lose Middleton... Yeah. Anyways, for what, nothing. What happens? How do you work Bledsoe, Brogdon, and I think George Hill has one more year too. I know you could easily dump great, that. Great question. Chris Paul and Bledsoe played together with the Clippers. Yeah, They played Bledsoe off the ball, brought him off the bench quite a bit. You've paid him a lot more money now. I'm I think you get another Bledsoe, I don't want to be here tweet as soon as that trade goes down. I got to say. The other part of that too is like, 
we're going to trade for Chris Paul, the guy who doesn't get along with James Harden. Uh, we're going to risk it. We're going to bring him into this organization, guy who didn't get along with Blake Griffin. Going to put him next to Giannis Antetokounmpo, possibly piss him off. Uh, pass. No, no thanks. We're going to keep character guys who know the pecking order here, Chris. Well, it'd be Lob City all over again. And in that scenario, when we're looking at how beautifully Kyle Lowry plays beside Kawhi Leonard, and it took them a while to figure out the your turn, your turn thing throughout mm-hmm. the regular season. But Chris Paul would just have to approximate the type of things that Kyle Lowry is doing for the Raptors beside Giannis and help him out in the half court a little bit because obviously we know on the break Giannis is a beast. We need to show some love, and you did a little bit, but before we wrap, to the other point guard, Fed Van Vliet, nine attempts, seven threes. His first two games in the series, he had seven points, three of nine from the floor, one of three from three. 83% since being a father. Or another father. I think he's got two kids, right? This is his second kid. Yeah, yeah. he has a daughter. And now he has a boy. And evidently, he's Fred Senior. All of a sudden, like, how's that? How's that? No, I love Are it. you automatically a senior well, as soon as you give the kid the junior? Do they put senior on oh, yeah. the jersey now? Doesn't he feel like Fred Senior right now? He feels don't, like Fred Senior to me. Don't you have to be of at least a minimum age or minimum no. height to be a no. senior? He is absolutely Fred Senior right now. In this game is, five, he certainly was with 21 points, 7 of 13 from the floor, and 7 of 9 from 3. So I truly believe what you said is true, that being a new dad, it clears your head a little bit, that some of the stresses in the world went away. And I really believe that Fred Van Vliet, being in the hospital room, you know, seeing his son, that he forgot about the way that he was struggling for a minute. I just have to, because there's just it's almost inexplicable the way that it's going down. And I heard Nick Nurse in one of his post-game pressers Talking about, you know, when they saw in that double overtime game, Fred Van Vliet getting that wide open three and him saying, well, that's it. That's ball game. Because Freddie, they're so accustomed to him hitting those shots. He went one for 12 the other night in that double overtime game. And I didn't even know it because I thought he played so great. You know, he was in a he was in a must play good situation, you know, because Kyle fouled out and we went to double overtime. He played at least 16 straight minutes and he ran the team and played defense and and he he oozes confidence. He oozes the confidence that spreads to the other guys. This is why the Raptors have confidence in Fred Van Vliet, because he is the bet on yourself guy. And that even when he was in this turmoil, even when he had the yips, even when he was honest and openly talking about it, that he was eventually going to come out of it. And I think, yes, seven threes is probably a little unsustainable. I don't think that he's going to be knocking that down every single night, but just you see why his teammates have so much confidence in him and why he's been so important to this team over the last couple of years, because he just, it doesn't matter how many times Fred Van Vliet's going to miss. He's still going to take the next one. And you feel really good about where he's at moving forward as a shooter because I don't think Fred is the best point guard in terms of like getting into the paint and finding other guys. In fact, his over dribbling is usually what makes me cautious of him as a player. But man, when he's got his feet set and he's catch and shoot, I'm not sure there's a Raptor I feel more comfortable with, including Danny Green, especially right now than Fred Van Vliet. It's true. I was planning on ending this podcast with who's the five Raptors you feel the most comfortable with in today clutch situations. But I don't even really think it's a debate at this point. I think it's Mark soul, Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, obviously Kyle Lowry. And I think that other guy is Fred Van Vliet, unless Norman Powell is having uh, one of his norm playoff Powell games. No, but, but I still think Fred is just more steady and consistent than norm. Like, there's a volatility to Norm Powell that normally is not there for Fred. And I know we're talking about this after a two-game sample, but I just think it goes to the greater thing of Fred. And I loved watching Fred the last couple of games. Even when defenses are attacking him, and you see a player like Giannis Atenekumbo get a switch onto Fred, and you're like, oh, he's in trouble. 
And he just doesn't back down. He doesn't give you any space. I don't think there was any better mentor for Fred Van Vliet than having Kyle Lowry as the point guard ahead of him when he first started his career. Well, I love that Lowry waited for all of the Raptors who were doing their various interviews on the floor to be done and made sure to dap them up as the team left yeah. the floor. And one of those guys is Fred Van Vliet, who was doing the Canadian interview. And if you notice, and I, I do notice these things, the pecking order in terms of who gets what Raptor post game. It's quickly become, okay, well, the American broadcaster gets probably Kawhi. Will Bond with ESPN gets like, ja- whoever the Will second Bond most interesting person. Will Bond who spells person. Giannis with a Y. Oof, that was a tough moment from old Will Bond. And who then, calls Sayakam. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are still making that mistake, which is unfortunate. And then the Canadian broadcast gets the next influential person. The beautiful thing about the last three wins is that there's been a lot of guys who have been worthy of podium games, worthy of talking that talk after the game. We will be back talking about this next week. And we'll either be talking about some presser sounds setting up the NBA Finals or some locker cleanout presser sound. That's where we are <sighs> this season. We've got the game, game six. Hopefully there isn't a game seven on Sportsnet. You can watch it on Sportsnet, obviously. On Sportsnet now. Oh, yeah. We will have coverage on IG. Myself and Jesse Rubinoff setting up the game post game. Michael Grange, Stevie Leung, Arden Zwelling will be writing on sportsnet.ca. So make sure you check out all of that coverage. Here we are, game six for the NBA Finals. Have fun watching it.